Thank you for firing up the Sunrise Church podcast. My name is Steve Garcia, and I am the lead pastor at Sunrise. We are a community of Jesus followers from all walks of life, all colors of skin, and all ages. And I hope this message you hear today inspires you to deepen your connection with Christ. Let's dive in. You know, when I was in college, I did a lot of odd jobs to try to make money. And uh, one time, this guy hired me to paint his office complex. So just a cleared out space with beige walls, and he wanted them painted white. So he gave me his credit card and said, walk down the block. There's a local hardware store where you can buy some paint and come up and, and uh, paint these offices. And so I grabbed his credit card and went down. It wasn't like Lowe's or Home Depot. It was like your classic you know, hardware store. And uh, instantly, I walk in, I get a bad vibe from this place. You know, the sales clerk, is, he's kind of like the squirrely kind of guy, you know, chewing gum real fast, won't look me in the eyes, you know. So I'm not really feeling like a, a heavy confidence in either this salesperson or the product that I'm buying. But nevertheless, I get the paint, and I walk a block back to the office complex and crack that thing open, stir it up, get it nice and thick, put the brush in there, and put it on the wall. And instantly, the beige bleeds through. So I'm OK, fine, I must not have. Mix it up again, so stir that thing up real good. Get it nice and thick. Slap that brush up on the wall. Same thing. Beige comes right through. I'm like, all right, well, maybe it's a bad batch of paint. So I crack open another can. Same thing. Mix it up. Get it nice and thick. I mean, I do it extra this time. Dip the brush in. Put it on the wall. Beige goes right through. Like, I knew that guy was shady who sold me this paint. I just had a feeling, there's, there's something about this. He, he, he didn't sell me cans of paint, he sold me cans of eggnog. You know? And so I get on the phone with the guy who hired me and I tell him the whole story and he's like, you get down there and you demand to speak to a manager. I'm like, oh, I'm just a college kid. I don't wanna get in the middle of this. He's probably running a mafia ring back there. I, you know, I don't wanna go down there and do this, but this is my paycheck on the line. Right, so I, I walk a block back down and you know, I, I say to the guy, I'm like, hey, you know, the, the paint's not working. He's like, hey, what are you talking about? You just didn't mix it up enough. And I'm like, listen, I, trust me. I know I stirred it up enough. He's like, no, 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 no. You just got to mix it up. I'm like, can I please just speak to a manager? So the manager comes out and hears the whole thing. And he sends the sales clerk back with me, back to the office so that he could see for himself. So the two of us are walking down the block <laughs> together. We go back up to the thing and he gets down and he opens up the can. He's stirring it real thick, you know, and I'm just standing there watching like I know what's going to happen. And he slaps it up on the wall. Beige comes through. I'm like, see? He won't give in. So he stirs it up even more, goes and puts the brush on the wall. Same problem. And I'm like, ha ha, see? I told you. I told you. And I'll never forget what he said to me. God is my witness. This guy says to me, yeah, you know, this kind of paint is called uh, dry and hide. dry and hide? He's like, yeah, you know, you paint it up on the wall and it doesn't look like it's working at first, but after it dries, it works. Okay. Listen, I know I'm just a dumb college kid, but I'm smart enough to know when someone is trying to cheat me. Clearly, this guy was a counterfeit. And today, we continue in part two of our message series through the New Testament book of James. And it's all about identifying the, the real from the fake. You know, and sometimes they're easy to spot, and like in the case here with this guy, and I did eventually get some 
paint that worked in case you were wondering. But that's, that's part of what James is wanting us to do. And I want to encourage you to read the book of James on your own. There's only five chapters. You can read it for your quiet time if you're looking for something to study. It's a great uh, first step into the New Testament if you're new to the faith. Uh, but I, I need to tell you, today's message comes with a warning. Today's message has the potential to be terrifying because our author James wants every single person who calls themselves a Christian to question their faith. In fact, here's the specific question that he's asking, James 2.14. He says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such a faith save them? Another way to ask this question is, is true faith what you believe or is true faith how you behave? So who is this James who's questioning us? Well, he is almost certainly the half-brother of Jesus. We know from other gospel accounts that Jesus had siblings. He had other brothers. And how do you think his brothers felt about Jesus walking around claiming to be the son of God? Well, in John chapter 7, we get an answer to that. It says, for even Jesus' own brothers did not believe in him. James was one of those non-believing brothers. At least he was initially. But something shifted in James's life. We don't know when, but after the resurrection of Jesus and the birth of the church on the day of Pentecost, James bursts onto the scene, and we find that he's this influential leader in the church. We don't know when he switched, but somewhere in his life, he ended up placing his faith in Jesus, which, by the way, little sidebar, this is further proof that Christianity is true. James placed his faith in his brother. What would you need to do to convince your sibling that you are God in the flesh? Okay? So James placed his faith in Jesus. Now, we don't know what happened to all of Jesus' brothers, but we know at least two of them became Christ followers, James and Jude. They both have books in the New Testament. What's interesting is Jude's book is all about imposters. James's book is all about authentic Christianity. You almost get the sense that they're preaching to themselves, that they're saying, hey, we know firsthand what it's like to be right there with Jesus and never truly believe in him. And so what James is helping us to do is to spot a counterfeit kind of faith. And again, sometimes they're easy to identify, but some of the hardest ways to know a counterfeit faith is when it's hidden under the veil of religion. Because I bet a lot of you know people who, who claim to be Christians, they, they know a lot about God. They know a lot about theology. But the closer you get to them and you look at the way they live their lives, you, you wonder, does your faith have any impact on your life at all? I watch how you treat people, how you talk, how you treat your spouse, how you're emotionally checked out with your kids. Is, is, that, is that really the, your faith? And at the same time, I bet you know people who are part of other belief systems, other faith systems, where they believe very different things about Jesus, and yet... They're out there in the community doing good deeds. They're knocking on doors and handing out literature and doing community cleanups and things like that. And, and you say, you know, we believe very different things, but at least it shows in their, in their behavior. So which one is it? It's true faith, believing the right thing or behaving the right way. 
And at first glance, James seems to give his answer. Let's continue to read in chapter two, verse 15. He says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? You know, I've been to some really poor places in the world. I remember being in a slum in India where people literally lived inside of those cement tubes that you see in construction sites. I've been to places in South America where, where people lived on garbage dumps. You know, just a couple of months ago, I was in Kenya where people live in abject poverty. In fact, there's this, this ministry that we visited where on Saturdays, they gather all the children from the community and they, they teach them physical fitness because getting them up and moving uh, helps with their mental health. And then they teach them about Christ. And while this is happening, all of the churches in the community have pooled their resources together and they cook a lunch for these children, which is likely the only meal they will get all weekend. Some of us go an hour without eating. We get all hangry, you know, overturning tables. I need a sandwich, you know. But for these kids, this is the only meal they get all weekend long. And I sat there in the church services and watched offering take place. And people would come forward and they would bring money and food. Some people came forward and all they had was a handful of dried rice, which is more than most Christians ever give. <laughs> and because they understood, we gotta feed the children. And so imagine standing there and seeing one of these kids just totally hungry, feeling destitute and depressed because they have no energy in their body. And you have a granola bar in your bag and an, an apple. And you look down at that child who's hungry and say, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed. And then you walk away as you munch on your food. I mean, you don't need to have any kind of knowledge of the Bible to know that's kind of messed up. And that's precisely what James is saying. In fact, he continues in verse 17 by saying, in the same way, faith by itself, <clears throat> if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. It'd be like me going out into the street and seeing some roadkill and scraping it off the ground and putting it in a box and putting it, wrapping it up with, with wrapping paper and tying a bow and bringing it home to my kids and saying, hey, everyone, I, I got us a new pet. And they open up the box and they look inside, dad, it's dead. And James is like, hey, look, look at your own lives. Open up the box. What's in there? Is, is it dead? And, and he continues in verse 24 by saying, you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Now this ought to make you a little uncomfortable because there's a certain tension here. Because the guy who wrote most of the New Testament is a guy by the name of the Apostle Paul. And he seems to have preached the exact opposite message, that you are saved by faith alone, not works. Here's just a couple of his writings. This is from Paul, Romans 3.28. He says, for we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from works. Galatians 2, verse 16. Know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works. So hang on, we got a problem here. Is the Bible contradicting itself? Because it seems that James is saying, 
A person is saved not by faith alone. You need to have works in there too. And Paul's saying, no, you're, you're saved by faith alone. Which one is it? Well, believe it or not, they're actually not saying different things. They're saying the same thing two different ways. And James's path and Paul's path converged in a very interesting way. There's this fascinating story in the, in the beginning of the early days of the church. You can read about it in Acts chapter 15, where a, a, a huge problem arose. You see, Christianity started as a Jewish religion. Jesus was Jewish. His disciples were Jewish. They preached among the Jews. But it started to spill outside the walls of Jerusalem. And the Apostle Paul was somebody who traveled into all of these non-Jewish regions and were telling people about Christ, and they were turning their lives to Jesus en masse. And that was great. But for the Jewish believers, they had a problem. They're saying, hang on a second. All these Gentile converts aren't observing the customs of the Jewish people. They're not following our laws. And the, you know what issue they were the most upset about? These new Gentile converts we're not getting circumcised. And they're saying, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you need to be circumcised. Can you imagine if that was still the message today? That might change things for a couple of people. You know, can you imagine me up here saying, hey, who wants to give their life to Jesus? Who wants to be forgiven of their sins and have eternity in heaven and power to live in this life? And you say, yes. You say, great. Ladies, you're good to go. But guys, I'm going to need you to come in this back room. There's a surgeon there right now sharpening his blades. Who's in? And some guys would be like, you know, I'll tell you what, let me pray about it. Uh, can I get back to you next week? You know, honey, run to the car. You know? <laughs> but this became such a divisive issue that they actually had formed a whole council and had to meet over it. And so just like a, any kind of high drama courtroom, both sides presented their case. And you know who was presiding over it? James. And if there's ever an opportunity for James to say, listen, Faith alone doesn't save you. You have to have works. This was it. He sat in the judge's seat. He could actually enact this as, as, as practice for all believers. But instead, listen to these words that James, James said in this moment. Acts 15, verse 19. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. In other words, if they're giving their lives to Christ, why are we going to bog them down with extra stuff? It's faith in Christ. That's it. But yet, the same James in his own letter said this, verse 24, you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. So what exactly did he mean by this? Well, the problem that James had was not believing that faith alone saves you. He did believe that. His problem was with the kind of faith that people were saying they had. Earlier, we read verse 14. He gave us a clue on this. If you blinked, you would have missed it. I want to reread that verse again. James said, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? See, James's problem was that people were talking like they were saved. They were giving it all kinds of lip service. And we did the same thing, right? Hey, don't worry about me. I'm good. I've been baptized. I, I said a prayer at the end of the service. I, I'm good. James doesn't care about words. See, a lot of you guys are, are claiming to have faith. See, their faith was an intellectual one. They believed God existed. They even believed that Jesus 
was sent by God from heaven to earth to save us. They believed it. The problem is that it never moved from their head to their hands. And James said, is that really a saving faith then? And then he went for the jugular. Listen to this, verse 19. He says, you believe there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You know, believing that God is one would have went right to the heart of the Jews because they practiced something called the Shema. It was a set of prayers that they would recite early in the morning and then again at night before they went to sleep. And part of that, they would say, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And James is saying, you're praying that? Good job. I'm so glad to hear that you believe in God. So do the demons. But the demons actually have more faith in you because at least they shudder. An example of this was Jesus was once preaching in a synagogue and he was interrupted by this demon-possessed man. And listen so carefully to what this demon said to Jesus. This is recorded in Mark chapter one. He said, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Notice this demon's confession. First, he affirms Jesus's identity. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Then he affirms Jesus' power, Jesus' ability. Have you come to destroy us? And then he affirms Jesus' divinity. We know who you are, the Holy One of God. And while they were saying this, he was, he was shuddering in fear. And this demon, like all other demons, hate Jesus. They hate everything Jesus is about. They're totally opposed to Jesus. Jesus is their worst nightmare. And yet they believe in him. And James is sounding an alarm to people who claim to be Christians all over and say, hey, that's great. Great that you believe that. The demons believe the same things too. So is your faith really genuine? And so here's the overarching concept I'd love for us to grab a hold of this morning. That when it comes to salvation, faith is the root. Works are the fruit. See, all of us, are, we're like a tree. And our faith is the roots that go down into the soil. The soil is Jesus. Now, when that tree is alive, you'll start to see fruit budding on its branches. Now, the fruit is not the cause of life to the tree, it's the result. The way that you know that a tree is alive is by its fruit. And so James is is holding up a massive mirror to all of us and just saying, look at your life. Is there any fruit? Doing a whole lot of claiming, but I'm not seeing anything. You, You say you know Jesus, but do you show Jesus? Let me illustrate it to you another way. Let's say that this morning's worship service went very differently than how it's already gone. It started in a, in a typical way. You arrived at the worship experience, whether live or online. Maybe you said hi to a few people, uh, heard a few announcements, sang a few songs. Uh, and the, but, but when I got to the stage, things were very different. When I stood up here, I was sweating and and visibly upset and frantic, and I just started yelling, everyone run for the exits, there's a bomb in here, and it's about to explode, and then I sprint out the door. How would you respond? Now, how you respond says a lot about you and a lot about me. 
And so I think there's probably three ways we would respond in this situation. Here's the first one. Faith that leads to action. You trust me, so you run. You may be thinking, okay, uh, Pastor Steve has never joked around about this kind of thing before. Uh, I think he loves the church and wouldn't deceive us, so I'm out of here and you're running. Your faith got you up out of that seat and you ran out the door. That's the first response. Here's another potential response. No faith leads to inaction. So you're sitting there in a chair and thinking, what does this Steve guy know about bombs? He's a pastor, not a terrorist. Nobody go anywhere. Everybody stay in your seat. Besides, I want to get my first time guest gift for free out in the lobby. No, nobody's going anywhere, okay? So the first response is faith that leads to action. The second response is no faith that leads to inaction. And the third response is possibly the most dangerous of them all, and that is faith that leads to inaction. In other words, you're sitting there and you're saying, you know, th th this Pastor Steve guy, he he's a trustworthy guy. And I, I believe he's telling us the truth. I, I think there is a bomb in the room. But I've had a long week. I don't feel like getting up right now. Not to mention everybody's all running and the parking lot's going to be a mess. Can we, can we just wait? Can we please just wait? I mean, he said a bomb was about to go off. We don't know when that's going to be. It could be like in an hour or two hours. It could be a week for all we know. It's not like I hear a ticking sound. And so you actually believe me. You have trust in me. You have faith in me. You just don't do anything with it. And that kind of response is the exact type of faith that James criticizes. That's what he calls a dead faith. James 2.26, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. When you believe but you don't act, that's faith without fruit. So James's challenge to all of us is to take a look in the mirror and question our faith. So, so how do you know? How, how do you know if you have a saving faith? Well, here's, here's a little test you can do. Just look back over the last seven days. Okay, now, many of you uh, were here seven days ago, and you listened to a message preached from God's Word. And when some of you heard that message, you were so moved that at the end of the service, you got out of the aisle, came forward, and asked somebody to pray for you. That's huge. There are some of you who, last week, when you heard God's Word preached, you texted next on your phone, or you stopped by the next step table, and you said, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do next, but I'm, I'm hoping somebody can help me. I just know I got to do something. That's massive. Some of you went back to your houses and got in small groups and broke down the text together and prayed for each other. And when you woke up Monday morning, you set out determined to put these things into action. That's incredible. Others had a different response. Others heard the exact same message. And their response was, you know, I didn't care for pastor's shirt today. It just didn't compliment his body type. Was it just me or was the communion juice a little warm? I mean, would it kill them to just put it in the fridge before they serve it to the people? You know, it, it, it was a nice sermon. Music was a little loud, but, but it was nice. And as soon as you walked out the doors, you moved on and didn't think anything else about it. Sometimes 
all we need as a barometer of our faith is just look back seven days ago. Now, I am certainly not insinuating that if you didn't respond to last Sunday's sermon, that you are not a genuine Christian, okay? If that's what you're getting, you're not hearing me correctly. I'm just saying that sometimes just looking backwards is what helps. Maybe go back more than a week, go back a month, six months, one year. Has there been any change or growth in you? Has anybody ever come to you and said, you know, I just noticed there's something different about you. I, I could see it in your face. I, I could see it in your body language. You seem more at peace. You, you seem more patient. You're, you're growing. Has anybody ever said that kind of thing to you? Are you still barking at cars on the freeway? Still running back to Netflix and junk food anytime a hard thing comes up? Still treating your family like garbage? Still running with that old group of friends that hasn't grown up either? Where's the fruit? Where's the fruit? You know, my wife and I have been going through premarital counseling with a, a couple that attends this church. And a little more than a year ago, they were far from God. They weren't living for the Lord. They were living together, had a, had a couple, couple of kids. And uh, after one of the services, the young woman got in her car. Now she was driving away. She just cried out to the name of Jesus and said, I, I can't save myself. I need your help. And her life started to transform. And her boyfriend took notice. There's something so different about you. I want to know what that is. And then in the Easter service of last year, he gave his life to Christ. And so they're sitting in our living room. My wife and I are going through premarital counseling with them. And they were mentioning how they had a fight uh, last week or something like that. And nobody's perfect. We all get in these kinds of things, right? And they said, but what we did was we actually worked through it. We actually listened to one another. Then we prayed for one another. And the young woman said, a year ago, this would have crushed us. And they're seeing in their own lives momentum and progress. That's what we're talking about. Do you see that in your own life? When you do, this can be powerful assurance that you have the right faith. But you know you better than anyone else knows you. And if you look at your life and you say, I, I really don't see any kind of change, the good news is that you have faith. The bad news is it's the same faith demons have, and it's no help to them. And so this morning, I want us to take a hold of James's challenge, and I want us to question our faith and to ask ourselves, do I really have a genuine relationship with Jesus that shows through my actions? Take a good look. Take a good look inward and observe that about yourself. Be honest with yourself. Because the reality is this, a bomb is going to explode. It's not a physical one, it's a spiritual one. At some point in time, this life is going to end. And we don't have to wait for the bomb to go off before it's too late. The writer of the New Testament book of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 9, verse 27. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of the many. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Scripture tells us that at some point in time, every single one of us are going to die, and we're going to stand before Almighty God, and he's going to separate us into two categories. 
one with a saving faith and one with a faith that does no good. You know, all of us miss the mark. It's what the Bible calls sin. It's like having a credit card and racking up debt. And as some of us all too painfully know, at some point the bill comes. Now, when the bill comes, we could throw it away. We could dodge the creditors. But at some point, you got to pay up. And when it comes to life with all of our sin, that accumulates. And we're going to stand before God. and He's going to say, time to pay up. And we're going to look at all of the sins of our lives and say, there's no way I could pay this back. It's too much. And at that point in time, we will then be eternally separated from God forever. But in this life, right now, a window of opportunity has opened to realize that Jesus is saying, I'll pay the bill. When Jesus laid his life down on a cross, he said he's willing to forgive not just our past debts, but also our future ones. He takes all of our sin, all of our debt, and lays it upon himself so that someday when we die and stand before God, he looks at us and says, your bill is paid in full thanks to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the kind of faith that saves you. (laughs) And so this morning, my question for you, is do you have this kind of faith in Jesus? You can say, I believe in God or universe or whatever. I believe God is real. I believe Jesus was real. That's not enough. Have you ever given him your life? Have you ever just cried out to him and said, I can't save myself. I can't do this. I need you, Jesus. If you've never done that, I want to help you do that today. In just a few minutes, I'm going to I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Now, the prayer doesn't save you. It's who you pray to that saves you. But I'll give you some words, some simple confessions to God that acknowledges your sin before him and your need for him, placing your trust in him. I'll give you some words that you can pray, but you've got to mean them in faith. You've got to really own them in your heart. So if you've never invited Christ into your life, I want to help you do that right now. I want to ask everybody to bow your heads and close your eyes and just take a breath and just be honest with yourself. Say, is there any kind of fruit in my life? Do I really have an alive faith? And if not, then let's invite Jesus in right now. You can repeat these words in the silence of your own heart. Just pray these words straight up to heaven. Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. No more games. I confess my sins to you, Jesus. I confess that I can't save myself. I need you. I believe you saved me when you died on a cross for my sins. So I ask you to forgive me, Jesus. I ask you to change my heart so that I could live a life that makes an impact in this world. In Jesus' name I ask, amen. Now, if you prayed to receive Christ today, I wanna challenge you to tell somebody about it. Put some action to that faith. Here's one way to do it. 
you're watching online, there's links you could follow, but for those of you who grabbed a program on your way in, there's this perforated card with a little box here that says, I said yes to Jesus. You fill that out, check that card, and in just a moment when our ushers are taking offering, just drop it in there. We'll follow up with you, talk with you, help you get going in the right direction, and really celebrate with you this new decision that you've made. For others, maybe you're saying, I'm just stuck, my faith is dormant, I need to get moving. Here's what you do. It's time to take your next step. Text the word NEXT to 909-281-7797. One of our staff members will exchange a few messages with you to help you take that next step. Maybe it's joining a small group. Maybe you want to find a place to serve and get going. Maybe you just need somebody to talk to. We can help with all those things. Text NEXT to 909-281-7797. Or if you're here in the room, you could stop by the next step table out in the lobby and there's somebody ready to have that conversation with you today. Friends, we're just getting started on the book of James. Next week, we're gonna talk about something that I'm certain none of you struggle with, and that's self-control with our words. So be thinking about who you can invite with you to, to come back and hear this message from the Bible. But until then, let's remember, faith is the root. Works are the fruit. If you've placed your faith in Jesus, it ought to show so may our belief impact how we behave. Amen? Amen. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. I want to encourage you to not just stop here. Maybe you sense God is speaking to you today and wanting you to take that next step. So here's two ways you can do just that. The first is text the word NEXT to the number 909-281-7797. That's 909-281-7797. You'll receive a message back with some ways to help you grow. That may mean joining a small group or finding a place to serve or just talking with someone one-to-one -one about your faith. You can also visit the notes for this podcast and follow the links provided. And if you're within driving distance of one of our four physical locations in Banning, Ontario, Rialto, or Victorville, we'd love for you to stop by sometime and give us a chance to meet you personally. Again, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope to see you soon. God bless.